Well, good morning. And the people in the back. Good morning. All right. I see you. Okay. Yep. All right. So you can meet me in Ephesians 4, just like Shaw read for us there. And uh, yes, you're already doing it, but children are dismissed now. Wonderful. You can go learn Christ together. Parkview. My name is Thomas. I'm one of your pastors here. I work a lot with community groups and with our equipping and training, stuff like that. Today I get to preach the Bible to you from Ephesians 4. I hope you have your Bible or your phone or however you like to read it as we learn together. Now, we are in week four of a five-week series of sermons uh, where we're trying to flesh out the vision that we feel compelled to lead you and this whole church toward in the coming years. And that is simply this. Vision, our vision, is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Very simple. How do we do that? How are we going to get there? To, we want, our mission is to glorify God through the whole church, forming whole, that is robust, well-formed, whole disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. A whole church, forming whole disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. In the first three weeks, we covered three big questions, and that's what we've been doing as we work through this series, is sort of coming with a big question and looking to the Bible for answers. The first question was what, uh, sorry, why make disciples? Why? Why do it? What's the motive force? What's the fuel behind this? Uh, Second, we asked, what is a disciple? What are we actually building here? What are we actually making here? Third, we talked about how it actually happens, where the rubber meets the road, what do we actually do to become and to make disciples. And this week, uh, the penultimate sermon is going to ask who? Who makes disciples? We've done why, what, how. Now it's time for who? Who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? And uh, I won't bury the lead. I will just give you a simple answer to it right off the start. And I got this from our booklet. Forgot to bring it up here, but many of you have seen it. It's a nice little blue thing. And uh, it says this, by their preaching, training and example, pastors and other leaders equip every Christian, every Christian to be a Christ learner who helps others to learn Christ. By their preaching, training, and example, it's the pastors and other leaders who equip every Christian to be a Christ learner who then helps others to learn Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but I already feel just like this is something I can't do by myself. So let's ask the Lord to help us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Ephesians 4. We thank you that you've not left us guessing or without a structure or strategy or without without wisdom and clarity about what you use to accomplish the goal of redemption of the world. Hmm. Help us today. Your word is perfect. It revives our souls. Help us today, whether we are strutting through the door, feeling confident and excited, or whether we are limping here, desperate and needy for spiritual oxygen because we feel crushed. Lord, be who you are for us today. Receive us, Lord, and now teach us through your word. Help us to see that what you have called us to is right, good, beautiful, that it's the path to ultimate flourishing and joy for me and for you. 
And Lord, most of all, and above all, glorify Jesus. Make Jesus famous. Make Jesus the most important name in every head, in all of our neighbors, in our homes. Glorify Jesus through us, we pray. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight in these next few minutes in particular. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, in this passage, we're going to learn three key aspects of what it means to be faithful to God's call to help others learn Christ. We're going to see the calling described. They all start with C. The calling described, the character required, and the confidence supplied. The calling described, the character required, the confidence supplied. If you like taking notes, this is your moment. There you go. So first, let's take a look at the calling described. We see uh, this calling. What, what does God have for us? Who makes disciples? The calling described. We see that particularly in verses 11 and 12. And he gave, you can look with me down in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to give good talks, to counsel the wandering and evangelize sinners. Oh, hold on. But isn't that what you expected to say? <laughs> he gave us professionals. Yes, qualified professionals. They are the ones who build up the body of Christ. Thank you so much, professional Christian Thomas. <laughs> I can barely say that without laughing. Isn't that what you kind of expect, though? That's not what it says at all. Instead, it says that they are given as gifts. In fact, if you go backwards a little bit, you'll find out that uh, it actually says that the resurrected Jesus ascended to heaven and from there, he directs the battlefield as if he's a massive heavenly general with a human body up in the heavens giving little gifts like you might drop a tank or uh, what's another thing you might have? I don't know, some infantry down on the battlefield. He's sent people like me and others, many of you who have gifts in ministry uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's him. He has given these gifts to equip the saints. Now, that word might throw you off. Saints. Ah, you're thinking saints. I know what a saint is. It's a perfect person. No, <laughs> it's all of us, but I'll get to that in a minute. But he has sent them to equip the saints, that is, everyone who has trusted Jesus, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You can see the very important word, the most important word there is the word equip. What are they doing? To equip the saints. It's, it's a pretty holistic word, actually. Uh, it does include training, which is probably what we think of when we, we hear that word or use that word ourselves. It has to do with training, learning skills, and things like that. Uh, but it also has to do with repairing, mending, preparing. Uh, this is the word that's used when, when Jesus is talking to some, some fishermen who would become his disciples and they're washing and mending their nets. This is the word that's used. It has to do with making sure that something or someone is ready to perform the function for which it or they were created. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. This means that the role of gifted leaders is to make sure that every Christian, that is the whole church, to use our language, the whole church, is prepared to do the thing for which God made them. Which we see uh, shortly on is the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, that which builds up the church, that is, making disciples. 
making disciples. We've used that language a lot. Let's make sure we're talking about the same thing. What do we mean when we say making disciples? Because I know that when I say it, some of you are thinking, okay, making disciples, I know, I've seen that. I saw that at the coffee shop the other week. There was like an old guy with a younger guy, and they were reading the Bible together, and he was sort of encouraging him, and making disciples, there it was. It's one-on-one mentorship, counseling, usually in a coffee shop, it seems like. Now, for some of you, you say, oh, making disciples. Yep, I'm totally familiar. I saw that. I saw some people that went down and they were talking to people about Christ that they had never met before and they were saying, you should become a Christian, repent and believe in the name of Jesus. They were making disciples because that's, that's what discipleship is. It's evangelism, right? Here's what we mean. Those are both, let me first, thumbs up. Yeah, I think both of those things are making disciples. But what are we talking about? Here's some examples. When a Parkview member asks her unbelieving roommate what she thinks about prayer. They're hanging out, they're talking, maybe they just watched a movie and it sort of stirred up a conversation. Say, what do you think about prayer? Do you ever pray? What do you think about it? They have a good discussion and she does a lot of listening. And at the end, she's able to share that that she loves praying and, and she loves prayer. And what she's learned is that God listens to her because when God looks at her, he sees the perfection of Jesus. So she always knows that she has receptivity from heaven, heavenly reception, divine audience with God who treats her prayers like, she, like he treats the prayers of Jesus, a perfect person. And so she loves to pray. What was she doing in that moment? She was making disciples. When a man sits down for dinner with his elderly Christian mother and he encourages her to continue pursuing Jesus, learning Jesus as passionately now as she did when she was, was a younger woman. And he, he asked her, Mom, can you teach me? What do I need to be ready for when I get to be your age if God gives me those years? How can I learn how to, how to live faithfully uh, when, I'm, when I'm your age? Encourage me. Help me. What's he doing? He's making disciples. When, when some of you are praying with your three-year-old before bedtime and reading a Bible story, even though it seems like It's going in one ear and out the other. It's not. What are you doing? You're making disciples. When one of you sticks around after the service to connect with uh, one of your community group members or maybe someone you've never met or whoever it might be to to ask them, hey, what did you learn today? What did you feel like God was, was showing you today? Do you know what you're doing? I feel like you probably know the answer by now. (laughs) You're making disciples. This phrase covers, and and this is what we mean by it, every effort that we make to spiritually influence another person, whether they're a Christian or not, to take the next step in learning Jesus. That's making disciples. Uh, It doesn't have to be formalized. It can be informal. It doesn't have to be from older to younger. It's every attempt that we make, every effort that we make to speak God's word patiently and prayerfully over time to see people take next steps to learn Jesus about this person, Jesus, Jesus. And this passage tells us that pastors and teachers, people like me and Doug Fern and so many others and the people on stage, all those, are not the ones who do the work of the ministry while the rest of us, normal people, cheer them on, watch them, get excited, and support it. Rather, it is the joyful duty of every disciple of Jesus to take spiritual responsibility for those around them to help others learn Christ. What we call making disciples. 
Making disciples is not a second stage of the Christian life, as if you sort of go through adolescence, and uh, then you sort of hit spiritual puberty, and then boom, I'm ready to go do, you know, make disciples. Ready, now. It is not reserved for A-team, varsity uh, level, bodybuilder Christians, hulking, who have just massive brains for Christ and have read everything, and they have, uh, they're clearing their schedule, and they have time for a special program of discipleship or something like that. No, no, no. Because we don't have to choose between going deep with Christ and learning him or going out toward others to influence them for Christ. We cannot choose going deep with Christ or going out to influence others for Christ. In fact, we can't because making disciples, making disciples is the inevitable consequence of learning Jesus. Making disciples is the inevitable consequence of following and learning Jesus. We will influence people. How will we do it? A few weeks ago, we considered the question, what is a disciple? And, and Doug Fern helpfully reminded us that uh, a disciple doesn't, being a disciple doesn't just mean knowing what Jesus knows, although that's certainly part of it. It's hard to love what you don't know. It doesn't just mean loving what Jesus loves, although being a disciple certainly must change our affections over time. We begin loving what God loves, hating what he hates, and, and so forth, having his instincts, his gut reactions to things. It, it ultimately has to do with doing what Jesus did. And what do we see Jesus doing? He's making disciples. Now imagine you're having surgery. Tomorrow morning, you're going in. Going into the hospital. You've been anxious about this for some time. There have been a series of meetings with physicians and and they've told you it looks like the interventions we made are are not doing what we were hoped they were doing. And uh, so we're going to have to get in there. We're going to have to operate. And you're going to head to the hospital and and you know it, it's not routine. It's, it's not local anesthetic in your, in your physician's you know, clinic on a Tuesday morning. It's serious. It's not every day. It's not outpatient. Uh, you're going to be under, and you're going to be out, and you'll be recovering for a long time. And your prospects for future life and ability hang on the skills of your surgeon. So you get settled into the room, you get there in the morning, you haven't eaten, you know, no, no eating before you go under, under the knife, and you're nervous. Uh, they've, they've brought you in, they've given you that silly gown, they've made you sanitize your whole body and all the stuff that they make you do, and you're sitting there, just all you're thinking about is just anxious stress. And the doctor gives a little knock on the door, comes in. He can see that you're anxious. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. I've learned this procedure inside and out. I've learned it. I I traveled to the best clinic. I I observed the one who invented it, actually. I I observed him doing it. I've read several books on this procedure. And I even, actually this week, I actually taught one of the residents how to do it. So um, you're in good hands. Uh, It's going to go well. I have learned this thing in and out. Do you have any questions for me before before we head back? And you're so relieved, right? You're so relieved. Great, they've learned it. They've learned it inside and out. Uh, that's so wonderful. Thank you, doctor. I'm, so, I'm just so relieved because I've been worried about this. I've been stressed. I've been, uh, just because I'm curious, you mentioned, um, how many times have you done this procedure? And he says, oh, I guess you'll be my first one. 
Oh, wow. Uh, barf. <laughs> um, you'd have to say at that moment, you must have a very different understanding of the word learned <laughs> than I do. Learning means doing. And in, in the Bible, the word disciple literally means learner. Learner. What, what do we mean by that then? What the Bible means is, is like that example I just gave. Like the way that you hope your surgeon has learned the procedure that might save your life. It involves doing. <laughs> and it's not just our bodies hanging in the balance, it's our souls and those of our friends and neighbors and our children and those around us. And that's where we get to the heart of our answer to today's big question, who makes disciples? Because if we are truly learning Jesus, we will make disciples. It is an inevitable, as I said, step of growth in the life of a believer that they will, as they grow, begin more and more, not only to think of their own spiritual life, but to look around at those around them and begin to take concrete steps to do intentional spiritual good to the people around them. We make disciples. And so to answer our question, who makes disciples? I'll say it again. By their preaching, training, and example, pastors and other leaders, community group leaders, so many others, equip every Christian to be a Christ learner themselves who helps others to learn Christ as well. Leaders like me are not professional Christians, no. Uh, at best, we're something like a player coach who's on the field with you, uh, hoping to make sure you know where to stand and, and how to say what needs to be said at the right moments, playing confidently. So that's the calling described. Have we understood it? God has made us to make disciples, and he's made people like me and given gifts to many of you to help every one of us, to be a whole church making whole disciples, robust disciples, well-formed, well-rounded disciples of Jesus, learning more and more as our lives go on. That's the calling described. Now, how do we do it? <laughs> how do we actually do that? How do I, and, and I think the core of it has to be, how do I become that kind of person who does that, who, who looks around and, and has that impulse of soul to, to see the opportunities that God has placed in front of me and actually capitalize on them. How do I become a person who helps others learn Christ? The passage tells us. Wonderful. Thank you, Lord. We see that in verse 15 and 16. And sorry, this is the character required now. This is the character required. We've seen the calling described. Now let's see the character required. Look down with me in verses 15 and 16. It says, rather, rather than dwelling in immaturity, to remind you, rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, someone say it for me, love. There's one character trait repeated twice in, this, in those few verses. What is it? Love. At the heart of a disciple-maker is love. The Christian life is not primarily or fundamentally defined by growth in knowledge or competency or wisdom. The final and most fundamental scoreboard of Christian growth is love. It can be summarized in one word, love. 
that's what was written. I don't know if you, if you had a chance to read in the booklet this week before we got here today. I hope you do. Um, that's what Scott Eberly said. He said, discipleship is about love. One of our wonderful elders wrote that. Jesus was once asked uh, by a curious person what the greatest command in all the Bible was. And he said simply, first, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he said, there's a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love, Parkview, is at the heart of what it means to be faithful and grow in Christ. And there are many reasons that we fall short of, of Christ's call to make disciples on our lives. But the fundamental is this, and if you've been Christian long enough, you realize this immediately. We have a profound need to develop sincere hearts of love for God and our neighbors. A profound need. Yes, we need to grow in knowledge, we need to grow in skills, but we'll do that when we have a sincere heart of love for God and neighbor, ever increasing in affection, desire, When I was 14, when I was 14 years old, I was miserable, angry, brooding, annoying. I was an annoying little boy who was more focused on myself than on anyone else. And I was not very fun to be around, and you probably did not want to be my friend. I didn't have many. And the trajectory that my life was heading toward was not positive. Most young men with my story end up making a huge, life, a huge mess of their own lives and then turning around and making a huge mess of lots of other people's lives. I was fatherless, abused, abandoned, and I responded both to God and to the people around me with anger, apathy. I, I was a mess. And the reason that I am who I am today is because God took hold of me and changed the trajectory of my life. And he deserves all of the credit. But do you know how he did it? Through the words and actions of men at this church who took personal spiritual responsibility for me. Men like Tom Cannon and Mike Farley and Aaron Goodrich men like Trent Sensky, and many of you as I look out there, and many others who are not here right now. Now, none of them would say that they did something remarkable. None of them would say that they are superhero Christians who have incredible faith and are flying in the clouds with Christ. No. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. This is how God is changing the world. What did they do? What was the character that led them to speak God's word patiently, prayerfully into my life over time? And listen carefully to this because this thought is at the heart of what I'm saying today. It's at the heart of everything that we're trying to encourage you toward and lead you toward with this vision of disciple making. It's at the heart of what Christ is calling every single one of us toward. You know what they did? You know what was their character? They made my growth their responsibility. They made my problems their problem. They made my immaturity their issue. They changed their lives to help me take the next step toward Jesus, day by day, month by month, meeting by meeting. They inconvenienced themselves. They said no to good things, fun things, 
things that would have maybe made their career better or made their life better for a time, to make sure that I grew up in Christ. They weren't superheroes, but God used their ordinary faithfulness. The words, that they, the words of truth that they had earned the right to speak to me, patiently, prayerfully over time, made something of me that I never would have become apart from it. And while God is to thank for my salvation and for every step of progress and faith was taken by the Holy Spirit, by his power, if it weren't for those men, you would not be hearing this sermon today. I'm confident. Someone else would preach, I'm sure. Their sacrifices are still bearing fruit some 20 years, 25 years on. Their ordinary faithfulness in doing intentional, spiritual good to me has brought about and produced It's welling up in pools of divine blessing for me and my family and now you and this church that will resound for eternity. And it pleases God. It pleases God to use simple means and simple men like this to change the trajectory of lives to bring much glory to his name. It's the way he designed it. It works. Proof. I think many of you would say the exact same thing. God has plans to do the same thing for others through you. What did they do? They followed the pattern of Jesus. They were ordinary disciples. The ultimate marker of maturity in the Christian life is not primarily, not fundamentally, although these things are good, it's not primarily knowledge and skills, it's love. Love for God, love for neighbor that produces acts of intentional spiritual good to those around you. That movement of love, that's the character we're talking about here, the character required. That movement of love, that opening of yourself, opening up your time, opening up your your heart, opening up yourself emotionally to be hurt when they disappoint you, opening yourself up. Uh, that when you approach them and you, you speak words of comfort or you, whatever it is, they might reject you. To really open yourself up, to make room in your heart for someone else to find fertile soil to grow is fundamental to the character of a disciple of Jesus. Now, <laughs> deep breath. If I've done my job in these first 20 minutes or so, I hope there, there are probably two things you're feeling right now I can't anticipate or thinking. First, all right, this is really, really what I'm called to. This is really what we're called to. I see it. It's there. <laughs> I'm to be equipped. Somehow I'm a saint. We'll get to that. I'm an ordinary believer whom God is going to enlist in the service of changing his world. We are plan A. There is no plan B. And he's going to somehow use me. And I'm called to it. Second thought, oh my word. <laughs> How am I ever going to do this? How is it possibly me? No way. No way. That's just not me. I don't have that kind of heart. I'm not there yet. Well, I don't know where you were at, but the good news is this. There's one story of good news in the Bible, and it's for everyone. So let's remind ourselves what it is. How do we get the confidence that we need, the power to do this? Where do we find grace when we fail? As many of you are probably feeling, I know I felt as I was preparing, I I haven't exactly had this character 
How do we find power to succeed, to know that when we actually move toward others in love, that we'll actually have power to, to do it, um, that it'll be effective? The last thing that we see in this passage is a supply, an unending supply of the kind of confidence that we need to be the kind of pe- people that this passage actually calls us to be. So first, we saw the calling described, then we saw the character required, and now, finally, we'll see in verse 12, the confidence supplied. Look there with me again. So I'll start in verse 11. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the, someone say it for me, the saints, the saints, for the work, the service of ministry. And uh, when I read that, maybe the first time, or maybe when Shaw read it, uh, you thought, oh yeah, okay, right. This makes total sense. So the pastors, they help the saints, um, and saint, that's like, saint is like a perfect person, right? Yep. So the, the perfect people, those are the ones who actually do the ministry. They're perfect. Uh, they find everything. They're very spiritual people, I'm sure. Uh, they sort of are like Mother Teresa is like a saint, or like, I don't know, who else? Really cool people, maybe like the person who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he's like a saint. Uh, perfect people who are highly spiritual, uh, they find it very easy to do everything that God calls them to do and very fun. So not me. <laughs> I'm not a saint. Maybe that's what you were thinking. But in this verse, Paul is not pointing to the spiritual elite. In fact, this is one of Paul's favorite words. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter is one of his favorite words to describe everyday Christians. And in particular, everyday Christians who are failing. <laughs> My favorite place where he uses this word is in 1 Corinthians 1 where he's addressing the worst church in the New Testament, one of the first things that he calls them and addresses them is saints. Clearly, clearly not because they had merited that title, but for some other reason. And he meets us again here in Ephesians 4 where many of us maybe have read it and feel like, oh my goodness, you'd have to be a saint to do this. He meets us and anticipates our objection in our hearts and he singles us out, every single one of us, and he uses this word that literally translates holy ones. To equip the holy ones, the holy ones. Do you know what he's getting at? The most important thing about you, if you have trusted Jesus, is that when, the, when God the Father in heaven looks at you, in particular, which he does, he says in his heart, what a saint. And he's not being sarcastic. He's not blowing smoke. How? Because of the gospel. That while you and I were still rebelling against God, not walking in accordance with his purposes, Jesus made your sin his personal spiritual responsibility. Do you know why he did it? He wasn't obligated to. He didn't have to. Do you know why he did it? Love. It it flowed inevitably from a character of pure love. You... Not you generically, generic human, but you specifically with your history and your face that you look at in the mirror and 
and your particular points in your life of highest shame that you hope no one ever knows about, God has looked at and decided that he is captivated by you and he will do whatever it takes to have you. And he did more than inconvenience himself to make that happen. He didn't just make your sin his problem, he made it his own. Jesus took your report card of goods and bads and wrote his name at the top. And then he handed it to a judge and said, I'll pay whatever it takes. And then he went to the cross because that's what it would take. And he rose again. And you know what else he did? He took his perfect report card where every moment of every day of his human life, he did the exact right thing. He, he did everything that flows from a character of pure love to those around him. And you know what he did? He took his perfect record and he wrote your name at the top of it. He didn't write humanity. He wrote your exact name at the top of it. He wrote Gary and Cindy. And then he handed it to the judge and he said, treat her like that report card deserves. And now he does. And now, when the father looks at you, do you know what he says? He sees a saint. And he's not being sarcastic. He's not joking. And so... (laughs) When you read that passage and it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and you think, oh, it's only saints who do the work of ministry, guess what? It's true. It's only perfect people. It's only, only saints, only people with a perfect record who can do this. And guess what? If you trusted Jesus, that's you. That's you. That God has looked at all of our failings and forgiven them, and he's done more than that. He's given us his spirit so that when we encounter those situations where he has called us to open our hearts to do hard things, let's be honest, things that are uncomfortable, things that will require us to change habits in our lives, to change our very hearts, he'll actually be with us. And, And when we empty ourselves again and again, you know what his promise is? It'll be like the thermostat in your hall, that when it, when it actually, the lowness of the temperature is what kicks on more heat from him more power to flow into you so that you can actually obey in the future. He hasn't just left us, paid for our sins, and then said, have a good time. He's promised to be with you, to give you everything you need. So do you want confidence? You want some confidence? (laughs) You want some confidence to start taking steps toward this vision of disciple-making, of influencing others step-by-step, taking spiritual responsibility for them, making their problems your problem. Plug yourself Plug your heart deeply into that gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we've concluded this, one has died for all, that's Christ, therefore all have died and he died for all. That those who live, you and me, may no longer live for ourselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He is with us.
Parkview, this is the call for us today. Follow this pattern, the pattern of Christ, by doing intentional spiritual good to those around you. You will not be guilted into making disciples. You will not be shamed into it. You will not, it won't work. (laughs) Not in the long haul. But you know what will give you fuel for your fire to press you onward toward those Christ has prepared for you to speak truth into? Look at Jesus. Look at him. Look some more. (laughs) You'll, You'll never get bored, I promise you. And you know what he'll do? He'll make you radiant. He'll make you compelling in a way that you never could be. And he'll begin to do what God did through my life. He will begin to pour forth pools of spiritual divine blessing that can be explained by nothing else but a man dying and rising again. Let's pray that God would do this. Heavenly Father, we confess that what we need most of all is to bring our souls to you today and tomorrow and the next day, humbly holding them before you, saying, Lord, it's insufficient, but it's all that I have, and I offer it to you. Make it better for your sake. Wash it clean and make me new. Give me a new heart to love my neighbor as myself. Give me a new heart to love you and honor you as I know I ought. And show me. Show me the people that you have given me words in my mouth and patience and prayer and everything that's necessary to help them learn about this wonderful, wonderful, mighty King Jesus. Fill me with confidence. Lord, fill us, fill all of us with confidence that we can be the kind of people and be the kind of church, the kind of community that this world so desperately needs today. That each of us needed do this all, we pray, in the power of and for the glory of King Jesus forever. Amen.